Nick, we've had some collateral damage out of the uh, federal conservative leadership race. Uh, Pierre Polyev has gone after the Bank of Canada uh, and former Bank of Canada Governor David Dodge had some uh, choice language uh, in response to that. I just want to play you a clip of what he told Evan Solomon. Pierre Polyever says the bank is financially illiterate. It's been so bad. Well, that's bullshit. To be blunt. That's blunt. Really? Yeah, absolutely. The bank understands. You're insulted by that. Yes, I'm very insulted by that. And why? And why? Why? Because they, they understand what's going on. They made a judgment call, right. which I think was... 100% right. Right. And, and would have been uh, claimed by people like Polyev to be absolutely crazy in the spring of 21, uh, in the spring of 20. But it right. was that judgment call in the spring right. of 20 that saved us from a real depression coming out of the right. pandemic. Interesting. Wow, that, that was blunt. Hey, Michael, I'd like to know what he really thinks. <laughs> was he holding back? I don't know, because obviously uh, David Dodge knew that he was on TV. Mm. You know what? He's a distinguished civil servant. Not only did he head up the Bank of Canada, he, he was a deputy minister uh, in the Ministry of Finance. Mm -hmm. Yikes, you don't usually hear that too much. But this is, uh, this is the visceral reaction that at least some people are having to, uh, to Pierre Poilievre's uh, attacks on the Bank of Canada, but Michael, to your point, this mm. this puts into clarity what the Poiliev strategy is. Mm -hmm. He is the anti-establishment candidate, and I think that's his positioning. That's his positioning, and it's good positioning for him uh, against Jean Charest, who you know, as a former progressive conservative member of the Brian Mulroney cabinet, as the premier of Quebec. Hard to say that he's not part of the establishment. And, you know, I would even put Patrick Brown as part of the establishment because, mm. uh, you know, he was leader of the Progressive Conservative Party of Ontario and, uh, and now is a, a municipal leader. So it looks like what this puts into clarity, this whole idea uh, of Pierre Poiliev as an outsider, as an anti-establishment candidate, someone who's trying to tap into voter sentiment, that percentage of voters or the proportion of the electorate that think that the system is broken, that mm. it needs to be smashed into little bits and remade. And I think that's why we're seeing Pierre Poiliev do a full frontal assault on the Bank of Canada. And you know what? Expect more because this is his core positioning, him as the anti-establishment outsider there as an agent of change, and then the other candidates as the establishment. So Nick, as you just uh, said, he's he's tapping into, I guess, growing anger from from a segment of the Canadian population, and and you've been tracking, you know, the the top issues of concerns among Canadians. So what, what can you tell us about that? Well, we do know that, uh, for example, during the course of the the convoy, that the issue of freedom or uh, freedom being under attack actually was on the rise as a national unprompted issue of concern. But underlying all of this is economic anxiety, people mm -hmm. being worried about the future. Not having hope, uh, not having hope. Basically, people doing their job, working hard, trying to save money, try to make ends meet, but they just can't get ahead. You know, the price of everything is going up. The price of rent is going up. The price of a mortgage, inflation is going up, and just a sense that that the system 
is letting them down, that they're doing everything they're supposed to do, but that the system is letting them down. And, you know, for those individuals, if you can't pay the bills, what do you have to lose Hmm. by opting for any politician or leader who says that there's a problem and we need to change things? So on on the other side of this debate, you have, uh, I suppose, the, the establishment candidate, as you said, Jean Charest. Uh, how do you how do you hit back on this? Uh, you know, when you're when you're in a debate, uh, what, what, when you're representing the the system, I suppose. Well, I think the the most natural response for any uh, candidate, whether it's Sheree or Patrick Brown, Brown, would basically to say, you have two choices. Do you want a party and country that's divided, or do you want a party and country that's united? And, uh, and to use that as the counterpoint, that appealing to narrow audiences, dividing Canadians, firing them, firing them up on the big issues does not create long sustainable uh, solutions and is not healthy for democracy or the country moving forward. So think of, uh, think of unifiers versus uh, what I'll say, people that focus on specific audiences and try to motivate them to win. Hmm. Uh, Nick, you've, you've literally written a book about this on, on you know, voter anger uh, and, and how it sort of could favor more populist candidates. So, so in the current situation that we're in, where so many Canadians are worried about uh, uh, a recession, about the economy, I mean, do you, do you think Polyev might have an edge in, in this leadership race? Well, I think I think he does have an edge in this particular environment just because of where we're at. You know, in, in a recent survey that we did, we asked how concerned or not concerned people were with a, a potential recession. Forty three percent of Canadians were outright concerned and another another four out of every 10 were somewhat concerned. You know, that basically means that almost eight out of every 10 Canadians have some sort of concern about a potential recession. And this feeds uh, this feeds the narrative that there's a problem, that people are worried and that they uh, want change. They want to hear solutions and perhaps they want to hear solutions that are different uh, from the past. And uh, not to dismiss anything that's been done in the past, but if you haven't benefited from what's happened in the past or don't feel that you've benefited, then you're probably looking at alternatives. And that's why someone like Pierre Poiliev has uh, has traction. But, you know, the thing about what he's doing in this anti-establishment positioning is that it's we know in the United States, in France, under Marine Le Pen, that it's a very good way to motivate voters that Mm -hmm. for those people that do believe that the establishment has let people down that are worried about the future, they're very motivated to, to vote with their feet and to get out and vote. Hmm. Uh, Nick, I want to switch gears now and, and go over to Ontario, where we have our, our provincial election is in full swing. Uh, where do things stand so far? You've got the latest uh, polling on that. Well, we've been doing tracking weekly tracking with CP24 and CTV News, and the latest tracking for this week shows that the Progressive Conservatives under Ford have uh, have an advantage. They're at around 35%. The Liberals are at 30%. New Democrats at around 24. Greens four. Uh, the New Blue at around 3.6. So right now a marginal advantage. But we have to remember the margin of error for the survey is about 4.4 percentage points, 19 times out of 20. So mm. the Tories got a the Tories have a five point advantage. That's not a big advantage. And and in the last election, think of it this way, they were at 41% in the last election. But, mm. you know, the numbers that have really changed since the last election is has to do with the orange and the red teams. Like the New Democrats, um, you know, in the last election had 20%, uh, no, 34%. Now they're down mm. to 24%. While, 
while the liberals were at 20 to zero, and now they're up to 30% support. So there's stuff going on uh, in terms of people being more open to voting for the Liberal Party of Ontario and the NDP not showing as well currently uh, than they did in the last provincial election. I know uh, in previous episodes, Nick, we, we've talked about how uh, NDP leader, Ontario NDP leader Andrew Horvath is has just done better and better, uh, you know, as we get into the next election. But, but the Liberals now have a brand new leader and Stephen Del Duca. So how, how much of this rise in Liberal support might be attributed to his uh, personal uh, brand? And hard to tell at this point. Uh, the fact that the Liberals are challenging is, uh, is important. And usually the Liberals are the main challengers to the progressive Conservatives. You know, we ask Ontarians who they prefer as, as the Premier. Um, you know, Ford's ahead at around 29 points, followed by Del Duca at 24. Yeah. But the key movement in the first week of the campaign has been Del Duca. You know, in the very beginning of the campaign, only 17% of Ontarians gave him a tip of the hat as the one they would prefer as premier. And that's up to 24. So he's up a full seven percentage points. And he's starting to pull ahead of Horvath. He's numerically ahead 24-20 on the preferred premier front. Uh, still within the margin of error, but you know it looks like after the first week, not having made any mistakes, not having blown up, not having made any significant missteps, that a number of Ontarians are starting to kind of kick the tires, the political tires on the mm. Del Duca campaign. And at least week one, he had a pickup in terms of his personal brand, but the ballot numbers didn't move. So the ballot numbers were the same. So uh, brand up, ballot flat for the Liberals. Uh, how much How much of uh, the personal support numbers going up for Del Duca do you think is, is just because Canadians may not be, not to take anything away from him, but the Canadians aren't that familiar with him? Yeah, well, you start at zero, not quite mm. zero, but uh, he's an unknown commodity. And that's why the debates that will take place throughout the course of the campaign, especially the one next week, which will be the big debate, uh, will be will be critical because, you know, Horvath and Ford are, for all intents and purposes, known commodities. Hmm. I would hazard to say that most Ontarians have opinions of both of those and feel that they're familiar with both Horvath and Ford. Del Duca is the new person on the political menu. And I think when folks look at the campaign and look at the debates when they when they do occur, that it'll be looking at Del Duca to see how he stacks up against Horvath and Ford. And we'll see whether he has either a breakout moment or uh, a recoil. Yeah, right. recoil can happen too, right? People can right. go, yeah, I thought he was okay, and then not. Or <laughs> he's better than I thought he was. And then uh, the numbers might even move even more for the Del Duca brand personally. Uh, and just a note for our, our uh, listeners, we will have a special uh, Ontario election episode released after next week's debate. So, so watch out for that. Uh, Nick, we already talked about the, you know, some of the top issues of concern federally, but what's, what are the top issues for Ontario? Well, it's interesting. Uh, the top Ontario issue right now is healthcare at around 26%, followed by the cost of living at 18%, but the kicker on the cost of living stuff, and this probably has to do with, you know, you go to the gas pump and gas is up, everything's up, mm -hmm. that just in the past seven days, concern about the cost of living is up six points from 12 to 18%. Uh, Housing still one of the top issues at around 10%, the environment nine, economy at around eight. So Michael, think of it as a one-two punch on the issue front. First of all, healthcare. Uh, second, economic issues like the cost of living and housing and the economy and jobs. 
But what is not on the radar right now significantly is the pandemic. Mm. So if Doug Ford and the, and the progressive conservatives think that this election is, could be a victory lap on their job managing through the pandemic, like it has been for other provincial governments mm-hmm. during, uh, during the course of the pandemic, it's not on the agenda. So mm. what does this mean? People are interested in Ontario. What are you going to do for me now? Not what have you done in the past? And I think that's probably the key takeaway. And the focus on healthcare is, is our healthcare system strong and we'll be able to deal? And is it resilient enough to deal with future threats? And then can I pay the bills? Will be able, will I be able to pay the rent? Mm. Uh, Nick, uh, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin and his own state polling. Uh, Nick, so the war in Ukraine has has dragged on for months now. Uh, there have been heavy losses on on both sides. Uh, and Russian President Vladimir Putin has been accused of war crimes, um, and yet his own state-run polling uh, would appear to show that he is more popular than ever. Uh, what do you make of this? Well, we got to be careful. And you know what? I've got a chart we can throw up, and this is uh, this has been collected by Statistica on uh, on polling that uh, not that it did, but that uh, it's reporting on that has been done in uh, in in Russia. And and why don't we say we shouldn't. We shouldn't take this with a grain of salt. We should take this with a big boulder of salt because check out the trend line, like 80% yeah. approval rating. Like, honestly, I don't know, when what, to, I don't know what to say. When I than, say, uh, when I see a state run polling, that, yeah. that definitely raises yeah, the flag. And You know what? It speaks, it speaks to the importance of, uh, of in a democracy, having independent polling that's done scientifically uh, in, a, in a democracy because you know, think of it this way, in the news organizations that are state controlled uh, and state managed in Russia, they're reporting on these polling numbers. So people are like thinking, Hmm. okay, so Vladimir Putin's approval ratings, 80%. And there are probably some Russians that think, I thought there were more people that thought like me and perhaps weren't 100%. So we have to be, uh, we have to be careful with this, but it speaks to, um, I think it would be fair to say that just because we're talking about Russia as a country where uh, the government does have a significant influence on the news, Mm -hmm. uh, that there's probably, uh, there is probably support for Vladimir Putin uh, and approval for what he does among certain segments of the Russian populace. I find it hard to believe that it's 80%, but there is some support, but that's probably in contrast. And for anyone in the West that's in an open and democratic society, they're probably thinking, I don't know how anybody could approve of what he's doing, but this speaks to the importance of having a free media, but also having an environment where researchers, survey researchers can do their job to capture opinion. So, yeah. Uh, Nick, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau made a surprise visit uh, to Ukraine. He was in uh, Kyiv to, to meet with uh, President Zelensky there. Um, how, how is that playing in, in Russia, do you think? I mean, with, with, with all these Western leaders meeting, coming there in, in, in person now to support uh, Ukraine? Well, I think it validates the Russian assertion. So, so think of it this way. The, most Russians believe that it's, they are already at war with NATO. They see Ukraine as a proxy state that is being funded and armed by NATO allies. 
mm. uh, to fight the Russians. So from a Russian perspective, they're already at war and with Ukraine and NATO and, uh, and that the, the visits of different uh, NATO ally leaders, um, such as Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, just uh, makes, makes that connection. Now, that said, this plays very well domestically in Canada because Canadians overwhelmingly support Ukraine and Ukrainians on a humanitarian basis. Uh, they want to, you know, in any way possible, try to solve this problem and for Ukraine to be an independent, democratic, and free country that is peaceful where people can go back. So, you know, I would hazard to say that this does play well uh, internationally, but it speaks to the almost like the two solitudes where, mm -hmm. you know, I think the, the, the unspoken ugly truth is that we, we are in a proxy war with Russia, but many of our politicians kind of skirt around that. But you look at what, what, what all of the NATO allies are doing. The NATO allies are doing everything possible to support Ukraine, including trade sanctions against Russia, including financial aid for the Ukrainian government, including provide supplying arms whenever feasible. They're doing everything except putting boots on the ground there. So mm -hmm. we're in, we're in 100%. And uh, that's, that's basically where we're at because Canada supports Ukraine and uh, wants to see Ukraine as an independent, free, and peaceful place. Hmm. Uh, Nick, I think we'll leave it there for uh, this week. As always, thanks very much. Take it easy.